This is recording number 10823 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the 15th message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 28, 2009. This message is titled, What Has a Hold on You? going to pick up where we left off, and I don't expect you to remember where that was, but I certainly do. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Now, we left off uh, at the beginnings of Paul's second missionary journey, and he has traveled, as you can see, quite a ways from where he began in, in Antioch, all the way now up to Philippi, and that's where we pick up the story. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us. And remember the one who's speaking here is Luke, the physician, the, the uh, medical doctor who is recording uh, all of the things that the Lord was doing uh, through the early days of the church. And he was with Paul on this journey. So he's speaking in the first person. And he, and he says, um, this girl fall, followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed... <laughs> turned and said to the spirit, I command you to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And we're going to talk today about what has a hold on you. Uh, This servant girl, it says, was possessed of a spirit of divination. Now, the word possessed, all of us, when we hear that word, we can't help it, but we think about the movies we've seen and stuff where people's heads twist around backwards on, you know, their eyes roll back in their head and they fold them at the mouth and do all sorts of weird things. But that word right there, possessed, in the original language simply means to be held by. This woman was being held in some fashion. Her life was being held back in some fashion by a spirit that Luke describes as the spirit of divination. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to set aside all those odd and bizarre notions of what it means to be uh, troubled by or affected by demonic spirits and hang out with me for the few minutes that we have this morning and perhaps see it in a different light. In fact, perhaps see how you may, I may be affected in similar ways and most importantly, how just as Jesus set this woman free, he can set you and me free too. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. 
In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, and in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, we won't bother to read it, but there's recorded for us much of our enemy's original history. He was created for glory and given the name Lucifer, which means morning star. He was created by God as sort of the lead angelic being, the lead uh, leader, and one of the primary um, things that angels are about is the worship of God. And by inference, then, we believe that Lucifer's primary role was as the leader of the worship of God. But he was, the description of his created um, state is beautiful and remarkable. He stood out above all of the other created beings at that time. But he rebelled in pride. He, his Uh, heart was lifted up in pride and he wanted to seize God's place. He wanted to be as God. And so as a result, he was expelled from heaven, from the presence of God in judgment. And his name became, he became known as Satan, which means adversary, or um, devil, which means accuser. He has some forces at his disposal. Fallen angels or demons. You can read about that in Matthew. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. We'll just read one verse that gives us a sense of this. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, the word angels simply mean messenger, means messenger or someone who is carrying out the will of another. So we see here when Jesus is describing hell, we see first of all, it was a place designed for the eternal punishment of Satan and his um, angels or his emissaries, his messengers. And it describes them as angels. These are fallen angels. In uh, Revelation 12, verse 4, it says, <clears throat> he, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. That's a, a, a poetic reference to the angelic hosts. His tail drew a third of the stars of he- heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. There's a couple of things there we're going to talk about. The first has to do with this idea, or this, this, not this idea, but this statement that a third of the angelic hosts were swept up in Satan's or Lucifer's rebellion. And we believe that uh, it's clear from the several passages in the scripture that they became his forces. They serve with him to accomplish the things that he's about doing. And let's talk for a minute about his strategy. It's basically twofold. We just read part of it, which was that he, he, uh, his intention is to um, destroy the Messiah. It talks about the woman ready to give birth. It's talking about uh, uh, the people of Israel, the people of God, and the Messiah who would be born. And he, the adversary, has arrayed arrayed himself in opposition to the Messiah. And that is his primary strategy to to, uh, confront anything and everything that Jesus the Messiah is doing. Anywhere, anytime, 
He is, the, uh, the devil opposes that. But the second part of his strategy is to ruin people. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But he's looking for those uh, who bear the image of the Almighty. And that's every one of us, by the way. We were created in his image. And because everything about God is uh, anathema to the devil... He, is, uh, he has set himself to ruin people, the bearers of God's image. Now part of the way that he ruins people is, with, uh, is to harass, trouble, uh, hold, corrupt, distort people through demonization. When you read in the New Testament, or when you read in the Gospels, and Jesus is confronting demon spirits, and it will say they were possessed of devils. That word possessed there means demonized, harassed by, troubled by demon spirits. It doesn't necessarily mean full possession. I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's what we normally think of. But there's really a spectrum of demonization. All the way from temptation to possession. Temptation, all of us have experienced that. You, you think it's a mis- uh, by accident that, that uh, right when you are most vulnerable, there will be a, poten- a, a, a temptation presented to you to disobey God? No, that's not a, that's not a, a mistake. That's a strategy of our, of, the, of our adversary, the devil, that wants to ruin you. So all the way from that to where you have lost who you are and you are no longer under control of your own life but under possession of a demonic spirit. We'll talk some more about that in a minute. But there's this, it's a whole spectrum of things that fall under the category of demonization. Sometimes we'll use the word oppression or bondage that kind of covers the whole spectrum. There's, there's many gr- uh, gradations, many points of, uh, along that spectrum. You following me? So when we talk about demonization or oppression uh, or bondage, we're talking about a, a, a wide array of ways that that works itself out in people's lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, we read these words. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I want you to think about that word place for a minute. Because it's easy to write off the story that we started off reading from Acts chapter 16 as having no implication uh, upon my life. But I want you to think again. This is not a woman whose head is spinning around backwards. This is not a woman foaming at the mouth, eyes rolling back in their head. This is a woman who followed Paul around for days. Who was saying, get what she was saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Does that sound like a lunatic? 
Does it sound like someone you would normally think of as being a demon possessed? That sounds like something I might say. (laughs) And that's the point. It doesn't say that she was on that spectrum. It doesn't say she was possessed. It says she was held by a spirit of divination. There's a lot of... of, uh, uh, a lot of room along that spectrum for what exa- how deep that hold was. We don't know. But we know she was following Paul around for days until finally he got disturbed and distressed enough. And, you know, he's not, he's not reacting to what she's saying, but to the spirit behind it. And we talked about this before, the gift of discerning of spirits that God allowed Paul to uh, exercise in that moment so that he could address this woman at her need, her need level, which was very different from what she was presenting verbally. But I just want you to see that there is the possibility that this woman would not have been immediately, in fact, Paul didn't recognize her immediately, evidently, as being... uh, Disturbed or bewitched or whatever you might want to, whatever terminology you might use. I think, now I can't prove this, but I think that she was just, she was seen, would have been seen as just a regular person. And in fact, I believe that she, there was part of her that hungered for what Paul was preaching and that's why she was following them around. There was another part of her that was held by a demon spirit. But there was another part of her that wanted what they were preaching and that's why she followed them around. Now it says that she was um, a slave woman and that she was being used by her slave, her owners uh, to bring in cash through divination. Divination is a preoccupation, at the root of it, divination means a preoccupation with the future. But a spirit of divination can begin to lead a person down a road of of ungodly spirituality. We're we're talking about people like fortune tellers and and that kind of stuff. You know, it's not all just malarkey. It is malarkey, but it's more than that. There There is... demonic spiritual power that works its way into that. And and that's where she was, and she was making money for these guys. I want you to think about something else. Think about the people who occupy uh, the office of CEO or are on uh, boards of some of the highest, um, most highly respected institutions in our country. Do you know that Many of them are people who are driven. Now we applaud that drivenness because it makes a lot of people a lot of money. But that thing that drives them is not godly. It ruins their their health. It ruins their marriages and their families. Now we don't think of them as being demon-possessed. But you know, and, and, and there's part of them that gets reinforced in that behavior because, well, there's lots of toys that come as a result, a lot of applause that comes as a result of it. They're making money for people because of their bondage. But they're just people like you and me that have had some aspect of their personality taken hold of by a spirit that's not Jesus. And that spirit is able to move them and manipulate them in ways 
that are destructive to them. I think that's what this woman was and I want you to be able, I want you to think about how that might relate to your own life. I could tell you endless stories about my own but I won't bother you with that because you've got plenty to work with on your own. This word place, where it says, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil, is being spoken to Christians. It's easy to write this whole thing off as unbelievers, because initially the woman in the story here was an unbeliever. I can't imagine that Paul walked away from her without uh, enabling, after she got free from the Spirit, without telling her about Jesus. I can't imagine she left that scene without being, becoming a believer, but initially in the story, it's clear she was not. But this is being spoken to believers. Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus, and he says, don't give place to the devil. That's you and me, Christians, right? Don't give place to the devil. And the word, in the Greek, that word is topos. Anybody here know what a topographic map is? Here's one. This is a topographic map of the area around Discovery Kingdom and the fairgrounds here in Vallejo. You can see it's very detailed. In fact, I, I wrote down a definition for topography. The detailed mapping or charting of the features of a relatively small area, district, or, or locality. I want to, uh, to uh, get you to, to think about that word topos. Don't give place... Don't give geography, don't give uh, the, uh, um, the devil and his demons any location in your life. He's talking to Christians. Don't give a place, a geography in your soul, your life, to demon spirits. Let's talk for a few minutes about human topography. And I would like to have you turn to... Um, let's, let's turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And this verse talks about three parts of the human topography. Spirit, soul, and body. Go ahead and take a minute there and read through that. Spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You are a spirit. At the core of you, who you are, you are spiritual. And that part of you is made for God consciousness, to be aware of and related to in relationship with God. It's, a, it's your eternal self. You have a soul. And that was created for self-consciousness. That's a part of you that's aware of you, aware of yourself. It's your intellect, emotions, personality, and will, your, your decision-making power. That resides in your soul. Sometimes we get them confused, spirit and soul, but they are distinct. And notice in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it makes a distinction about those, these three areas of, a per, of a, the human topography, spirit, soul, finally body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and they are clothed in a body which was designed for world consciousness or relationship with the external world. It is your physical systems, your appearance, your senses, your desires, your physical desires anyway. 
That's the topography of human beings. And Paul says, don't give any of that to the adversary. Now I want to talk to you about, I want you to see, uh, I'm setting up something here, so bear with me for a minute. But God created you, spirit, soul, and body, and then the Bible says he breathed into your nostrils, breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man then became a living being. And that life began to spread itself from your spirit spirit to your soul and ultimately to your body. I'm, I'm talking about you, but all mankind, all humankind, this is true of. But then what happened? What happened? We screwed up. Sin. Sin. And sin severed the connection between God, the life flow of God to my spirit. And my spirit, the spirits of human beings became darkened. And that that death began to spread to my soul, to our souls, ultimately to our bodies. We will die. Our physical bodies will die. But the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus covered sin, restored the possibility for the life of God to regenerate my spirit. And that life can once again begin to touch my mind and my emotions and my personality and will and ultimately begin uh, to radiate out to my body. You know, the Bible says that those of us who are uh, followers of Christ, our bodies will be resurrected. Don't ask me to explain that because I cannot. But, it, but it, all that means is that God cares about the whole of who you are and he, his redemptive plan is, for, is to redeem all of you all of you, spirit, soul, and body. All right, having set this up now, I want to talk to you about the pathology of spiritual bondage. Spiritual bondage. This is how this works. First, there's temptation. Now, we often think about temptation as... You know, something like a, a sexual temptation or, or to an, you know, some sort of illicit sexual uh, activity or to, you know, steal or to, uh, you know, take some kind of substance, you know, that isn't good for you. And, you know, it, we think of it in terms of only things that are uh, related to the body. And that is very true that our desires uh, uh, can be corrupted or, or uh, assaulted by temptation. I need to borrow your Bible for a minute. Turn to the book of James. Book of James, little book in the uh, back of your New Testament, right after Hebrews, and chapter 1. It says this. It says... Uh, verse 14, chapter 1, James, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And we often think about those desires having to do purely with the body. Physical desires. And, and that is true. But not, that's not all there is to it. Then it goes on to say, Then when desire has conceived, and notice that word conceived, it gives birth to sin And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Temptation is not just 
to, it's not just something presented to the physical desires. It's also addressed to the emotional soul desires too. Temptation has no power unless it is seeking to offer an illegitimate way to satisfy or meet a legitimate need. Otherwise, you'd, just, you'd walk away from it. It wouldn't have any bearing on you. It's always, Satan is all, and his, and his horde are always trying to present something to you that would satisfy or meet or deal with a legitimate need that you have in an illegitimate, bogus, counterfeit way. So you have, all of us have a legitimate need to spend our life in deep connection to, an, to our spouse. Our husband, our wife, the one that God intended for us. It's a legitimate need. Well, what happens? The devil comes and presents alternatives. Counterfeit alternatives. Many people in the room right now know the wreckage that comes in the wake of biting on that bait. But you see what I'm saying? It's, it's always a legitimate, I mean, always addressing a legitimate need with an illegitimate solution. <clears throat> but it doesn't always have to do with physical desires. In fact, the most devastating temptation I ever gave place to do had nothing to do with sex, power, money, or drugs. <laughs> I grew up in a very chaotic home. You've heard me tell this story. Some of you have before. So I won't give you all the details. But I grew up in a very chaotic home. And one of the things that's, that just constantly uh, drove me nuts was that we could never get somewhere on time. <laughs> no, I don't know. You know, I could, I, I, no matter how hard we tried, we could not get somewhere on t- uh, there on time. And that wasn't the only thing, but that was the thing that the devil seized upon. And it had to do with this, this um, woundedness, really, of my soul that came from living under an, unpre- an unpredictable, in an unpredictable environment where every, I couldn't count on anything. My parents' marriage was a mess. My relationships with my siblings was a mess. And it was always just a mess. And it wounded my soul. I had a legitimate need for somebody to heal me. Of course, that only, the only person who could was Jesus. I didn't reach out to him. What I did reach out to was an illegitimate, bogus, counterfeit solution. I got out of my car late again. My, my, my mom dropped me off. Got out of the car late again for baseball practice. I'm probably 9 or 10 years old. I'm walking to the field and everybody's already there. They've already gone through half the drills and everything. I'm walking up there hanging my head because I'm so embarrassed. I know I'm going to get chewed out by the coach again. And this is what happens. You know, you could take control. And then you'd never be late again. I bit the bait. And I decided from, I remember it clear as a bell. I decided when I can get control, I will never, ever be late again. And that, succumbing to that temptation, set me on a course of ruination that almost cost me everything of value in life. 
So, temptation. But at this stage, the temptation, we all get them. We all have them every day. There's no sin involved. The fact that you are tempted, the fact that you are presented with this false alternative is not sin. But it's when you engage with your soul and you start making decisions about that. It's when you take the second look. It's when you make the choice. That's when it becomes sin. And, and sin is not just something you do. Help me. Oh God, help me get this across. Sin is not just something you do. It's not just a list of things that God says, don't do those things. Sin is embracing, welcoming something into your life that God did not intend. Welcoming into your soul something that will ruin you. That's sin. And the passage there in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says that we're tempted when we're drawn away by our desires. But when desire conceives. You know the, the um, illustration here is about or the reference is about um, you know making babies. And there's a penetration that happens when temptation is welcomed. And something gets conceived. That dark spot in your soul is bondage. The woman in the story was held by, penetrated by, and and something was born in her of a spirit of divination. In me, it was control. I don't know what it is for you, but it ain't good. Because the Bible says that when that passage we, we, passage we just read, that once uh, that, that thing that gets birthed in you grows up, it brings forth death. It starts polluting your spiritual life. It starts bombarding the life of, that God intended for you to have. But, but, listen to what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry when he stood up in, the, in his hometown synagogue to announce what he'd come to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he can begin to reverse this process. Expel every hold, every bondage, every form of corruption that has polluted your life. And bring full and complete restoration. Read that with me, that passage that I just read from Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Because I want you to hear it on your own lips. Ready? One, two, three. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's your Savior, dear one. That's your Savior. That's his intentions for you. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it says this. And you, 
being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's a reference to demon spirits. Having disarmed them, having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. There isn't any form of demonization, any form of bondage, any form of control that, the, that demon spirits may have, or pollution that demon spirits may have had over your life that his cross has not uh, triumphed over. Now, what we began today, and I'm going to wrap it up. What we began today, I'm going to... Uh, take further next week and deal more with uh, the whole process of once you've realized that you have been held by some spirit. How do I, how do I welcome the spirit of God to expel that from me? We're going to talk more specifically about that, but I want you to know we have this promise. We have this promise. And whenever, if you find yourself, here's one of the ways that you can kind of judge what's going on in your own life. Do you ever feel like there's a broken record going on? I know most of you don't know, even know what a record is. But it's a, it's a big piece of vinyl about like this, round piece of vinyl like this. Actually, and it was used for playing music. And actually had, actually had grooves in it that were pitted with, a, with an actual uh, uh, carving implement and then placed on a platter and spun and had a needle that went down there and rode in those grooves and the resulting analog waveforms that was produced by that created music. But the pro- and it was great. It was a great thing. Not quite as great as eight-track tapes, but pretty darn great. <laughs> but the pro- the pro- but the problem uh, that's an inside joke, eight-track tapes. Ask your grandparents about it. <laughs> anyway, the problem with those, those vinyl records, we used to call them, was if they got scratched, the needle would just keep going in the same groove. It wouldn't progress. Just keep going around and around the same place. If you notice that going on in your life, you just keep revisiting the same issue over and over and over Hmm. Take note. Something has a hold on you that Jesus wants to expel. We'll talk more about that next week. I I hate to leave it at that point, but I, I cannot do it justice in the time that we have left this morning. So come back next week. Let me tell you one quick story and then we're going to sing and go home. A good friend of mine. Now, I asked you in the beginning of this message to try to relate to the woman in the story differently than you may have before. I hope that you have been able to sort of see her circumstances and maybe be able to relate to them out of your own life a little bit. But a good friend of mine, uh, not that long ago, found herself in that uh, broken record state. Just... Revisiting the same issue over and over and over. 
I joined with her in prayer, asking God, what is this? What is this? What has a hold on her? And we were both surprised when it seemed like the Lord was saying, because she'd never really heard about it, uh, but it seemed like the Lord was saying that she was being troubled, harassed by, held by a spirit of divination. Divination. Next week we'll talk some about what some of the names that the Bible gives to some of these spirits that trouble us. But divination is clearly one. And it's a preoccupation, an ungodly occupation, preoccupation with the future. So much so that you begin to, uh, you begin to project yourself out farther and farther. Because note, once you start down this road, at first it seems, um, it seems responsible. Well, you're just planning ahead, right? Just making sure that you cover all the bases, before you get there. And there is a certain amount of, of uh, being just a responsible person that you do those things. But when it begins to take hold of you, pretty soon you can't project yourself out far enough. And you start living somewhere besides the here and now. And you become fearful about the future because you can't control everything. And you spend all of your time not only worried about the future, but trying to arrange all of the things in your life so that when you get to that place, it'll be okay. And you can't. And then you start to tell God no. Because here's what you think. You think, well, God, if you don't tell me, if if I take this step you're asking me to, I am not going to do it unless you tell me where I'll end up if I do. And how many of you know God can rarely ever give us that kind of information? <laughs> Not that he doesn't know, but we, well, that's another story. But we never get it, really. He's asking us for faith, right? Just to step out and trust him. But, but divination removes that possibility. And you're trapped. And she found herself in that kind of a cycle. So we began to pray and ask God for uh, deliverance from, for her. And, I, and God has broken that bondage over her life. And uh, I, I believe that the Lord wants to do that uh, as he has done in my life in so many ways, my wife's life and in, in, in many of us so that we can live the life uh, of freedom before him that he intends. So ushers, I mean, uh, worship team, would you come? Let's all stand together. And I want to sing the song, I am free. I am free. I am free.